Let's go into uh, what God has for us this morning in His Word. If you have your Bibles, turn to Luke. We're back in Luke, Luke chapter 19. Luke 19. We're going to be looking in verses 28 through 44. 28 through 44. I was excited about preaching today. For one is the, the text that, that I'll be preaching. But also, um, Brian came in my office and, threw the, and said, you have to preach in that t-shirt. I said, I don't believe that. And then I really didn't believe him because evidently, um, you know, I don't know if some of y'all know this, but we have fun in the office, me and Tony and Brian and Lyle and the ladies. We just, we have a good time. And so I didn't believe him. And then Tony said it. So like, okay, I'll do it. And, and I'm excited about preaching in a t-shirt. However, I did throw the jacket on. So some of y'all are like, why did you even put the jacket on? Just preach in a t-shirt. And somebody told me this morning, you should have wore flip-flops, but... Uh, no, I couldn't, couldn't wear flip-flops. So if you're in Luke chapter 19, um, <clears throat> verses 28 through 44 is where we'll be. This passage is known as the, the triumphal entry. And um, historically it's known that. It's not really called that in, uh, in Scripture. It's just something that we, uh, along the years, we've just, we've just called it the triumphal entry. Um, however, just reading through this and studying through this and just wrestling with this text, um, I think I think maybe it shouldn't be called that. And uh, we'll look at that, read my reasoning for that today. Um, maybe it should even be called the untriumphal entry. Um, it's a very intense passage. It's very unique. Uh, last time I got to preach on a Sunday morning, I preached Zacchaeus, and that's just a... That's just a fun story to preach. I mean, some of you guys said you had fun preaching that, and I did. It was fun. I mean, it's, I was running around a little bit up here. Um, this, this text, however, is, is not, a, uh, not, not so fun. It's very intense, and uh, we're going to look at this text today. I need to pray, ask God to help us with this, and we'll get going with what He has for us today. So let's pray. <clears throat> Father, we thank You so much for Your words today. God, we thank You so much for how you have given us eyes to see the truth. You have opened up our hearts. You've given us faith to believe. God, we pray that you would take your words today, God, and that you would uh, impart them to me, God, so I can speak your truth. Lord, I pray that no one hears from me today. God, I pray that they hear from you today. We trust you with your word today, God. We pray that you would teach it to us. We pray that you would preach, that you would enlighten us today. And we pray this in Jesus' good name. Amen. So let's recap a little bit where we are in the Gospel of Luke. It, it, we've getting to the, we're getting to the point to where it's really kind of a, it's kind of a bullet points that are going on. It's like, bam, we're just hit with one thing after another, one thing after another. The, the narrative, so to speak, the, the story is kind of, uh, in, in chronological uh, instance, it's kind of slowed down. And so so right now we're to, to where this is a week before the cross. One week before the cross. And we've just seen that, that Jesus has this discussion uh, a couple of chapters back uh, with this rich ruler. And he comes up and says, uh, Master, what must I do to be saved? And Jesus has this discussion with him and he goes away upset because it's not really what he wanted to hear. And then we find he heals this blind guy. And so he, he does this mighty work in him. And then he does heal, he does restore, he does save a rich man. He does get the, the camel through the eye of the needle in with Zacchaeus. He does come to the point to where he can, we can see that, well, Jesus actually can save a rich person. And then he talks through this really difficult uh, passage that we dealt with last week with the parable of the, of the ten minus, the, that, that tough 
passage that when Tony preached on it a couple of weeks back, um, he, we, we brought that tree out to him when he, when, uh, that pastor appreciation tree out to him that, that same day. And he said, wow, this is not really a good day to bring this out to me because it was such a tough, difficult text. So now we're to the point where Jesus is <clears throat> to the point to where he's coming towards Jerusalem. Let me just give you some background. Um, Jesus is heading to Jerusalem. Jerusalem is his destination. He knows this. The king, the great king is heading to his city. He's going to where he's going to go to the cross. This is where Jesus is heading. Uh, Luke chapter 13 says this. Nevertheless, I must go on my way today and tomorrow and the day following, for it cannot be that a prophet should perish away from Jerusalem. Then he says, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. The city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings and you were not willing. Behold, your house is forsaken. And I tell you, you will not see me until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So Jesus is already lamenting several chapters back in Luke, in Luke 13. In Luke 9, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, Jesus' departure, which what? Which he was about to accomplish in Jerusalem. In Luke 9, 51, later in that chapter in Luke 9, it says, "When when the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. Jerusalem, even today, is a unique city. In Scripture, it's very unique as well. Jesus said just, just, just a while ago, we heard him say that, Oh, Jerusalem, you stone and you kill your prophets. There's this weight in, in the Messiah, in Jesus here, when he's talking about Jerusalem. And we know today that there's, a, there's, something, in, there's something about Jerusalem. Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. When it says he set his face to go to Jerusalem, it's like he, he set his face like flint. Flint is hard. Flint, flint is hard to, to, to be changed. So Jesus has resolutely made up his mind. He's heading to Jerusalem. Next thing we see, just some background issues with this passage that we'll, we'll look at, is all of Israel knew that the Messiah would be crowned king in Jerusalem. So the Israelites, they knew. Now, it's been several hundred years since, since there's been a prophet, since God has spoken. There's been time of silence. Now, but there's still a lot of people that know that there's going to be a Messiah, and the Messiah is going to come, and he's going to be crowned in where? Jerusalem. So there's, a, there's kind of a buzz because people are, are hearing that, you know, Jesus is saying he's the Messiah. He's on his way to Jerusalem. They, they've heard these words where he said, I've set my face like a flint to Jerusalem. So there's this Jerusalem kind of anxiety that people are having. There's this Messiah anxiety that people are having. They're they're coming together now and Jesus is heading to Jerusalem. So a lot of people knew that the Messiah would be crowned king in Jerusalem. Now, another thing that's going on in this time when Jesus is heading to Jerusalem is the Passover. It's the time of the Passover. Now, the Passover was a time when a lot of people would pilgrimage to, to Jerusalem. They would come from all over. We find in earlier in the Gospels that Jesus' family, they kind of got a little caravan together, right? And they go to Jerusalem. They go to the city for the, for the Passover. That's when Jesus gets lost, right? 
So they had this big group going to Jerusalem. So, so a lot of people are, are pouring into Jerusalem. The um, Hotel.com, their, their, uh, their sales go up. I mean, there's all kinds of car rental sales that are going up. I don't know what's going on with that. But, but the thing is, the Passover is at, at hand. Now, the Passover is something that is so special to the people of Israel. They would go to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. What they're celebrating is something that happened in Exodus chapter 12 where the plagues were coming. Moses is coming to rescue his people, rescue the Israelites out of slavery and bondage in Egypt. Right? You know the story. And then there's gnats and then there's frogs and Pharaoh's heart is hard. And he says, I'm not letting your people go. I'm not letting your people go. There's death. There's blood. It's, it's a really cool story. You should read that in Exodus sometime. And then they take this blood of the lamb and they take this blood and they, and they, they slaughter the lamb and they take the blood of the lamb and they, they put the blood on the doorpost. And the blood on the doorpost, when, when the angel of the Lord come through, when the death angel of the Lord came through the streets, when, 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 the, when the blood on the doorpost was seen, that, that death would pass over that house, that death would pass over that home and it would go on to something else. And they would celebrate that, yes, God spared us. God saved us through the blood of the Lamb. And it was at that point, the breaking point, eventually, where Pharaoh said, okay, get out, go. And so they celebrate the Passover, where the blood of the Lamb freed God's people. And so the Passover is going on this time. It's very, it's very serious time. It's, it's more serious than, than almost any of our traditions that we have. They would come from all over to go to this city to celebrate the Passover. Now, Jesus is going to the city during the Passover. They knew that the Messiah would be crowned king in Jerusalem. So all these things are just coming together. And it's one week before the cross. There's, there's a lot going on here. If, this is, if there's a movie soundtrack, it's like the intense part of the movie. And you're, you're on the edge of your seat. Like, what's fixing to happen? This is very intense. Now, Jesus also had fueled the Messianic the Messiah, the Savior enthusiasm that was going on. People were saying, he's got, he's got to be the one. For one, his miracles, the works that, he, that he's doing. Just recently, before he's heading to Jerusalem, what happened? Lazarus was raised from the grave. We find that in John. Lazarus is walking around. He used to be dead. He was dead for four days, wrapped up in the, in the, in the grave cloth. And they're weeping over Lazarus. Jesus is weeping because they're weeping and because his friend is dead. And he hollers at the tomb, Lazarus, come forth. And he's still wrapped up. And so he, he comes out of the grave. I mean, they didn't have time. He came out. And so Lazarus is walking around. They wanted to kill Lazarus. We got to shut him up. We got we to get rid of this Jesus guy too. So his miracles fueled this savior enthusiasm that people had. His proclamation. Jesus was proclaiming over and over and over, the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom is at hand. The kingdom is at hand. And everybody liked that. They didn't really like so much of his other preaching, but they liked the fact that, hey, you know what? This kingdom idea, maybe I can connect with that because they had this idea that the king would come, he would be anointed king in Jerusalem, and that this king would just topple all the tyranny that they, they were experiencing all around them. That he would come in, he would raise up armies, and he would clean house and wipe out Rome. And so Jesus is saying the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom is nigh, near. So there's this enthusiasm of people around Jesus listening to him talk about this. Not only did he talk about uh, the kingdom, did he do miracles that people were amazed by, but he was welcomed 
as God and he accepted worship. Never do you find Jesus saying, no, 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 please don't worship me. And so there was something about his welcoming of worship. But what we find is all these religious leaders, all the Pharisees, they turned their nose up at him. They growled and grumbled at him. They didn't like him. He was too lowly. There's no way this guy could really be the Messiah. He's too humble. He's too blasphemous. That's why they hated Jesus, because the words that he would say, stuff like, I and the Father, we're one. The things that he would do on the Sabbath. See, they had actually a high view of the Messiah. They really did. But they were completely blind to the truth that Jesus is the Messiah. They had a high view of what this Savior would do, would come in and just make this awesome peace for everyone in the land. And so that's that's the background that we have for what's going on. We got the Passover, we got Jerusalem. There's just something about Jerusalem. I'd love to go there one day. Let's look in Luke. Let's look at the uh, the story today. Luke chapter 19. This passage of the triumphal entry is found in all four gospels. It's very important. And when he had said these things, chapter 19 verse 28, when he said these things, these things being what? The parable he just spoke. Parable of the Minus. He went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. Now, when you're looking at this term, going up to Jerusalem, it's not like he's doing this teaching and he says, okay, we got to go to Jerusalem. Come on, guys. There's this slow moving to Jerusalem. He's like set his face like flint to Jerusalem. And now he starts to make his way to Jerusalem. He went there from Bethphage or Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olivet or Mount of Olives. He sent two of his disciples. So he's getting closer to Jerusalem. He sent two of his disciples saying, go into the village in front of you where on, where on entering you will find a colt tied on which no one else has ever sat. Untie it and bring it here. Well, that's kind of bizarre. Why is he saying that? He's not like he's tired. He's not some diva saying, okay, I can't walk. Go ahead, get me, go, go get me something to ride. Now, in Zechariah chapter 9, we find that Jesus is doing this to fulfill prophecy. This beautiful prophecy uh, in Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9 says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, a foal of a donkey. So Jesus is fulfilling prophecy. Verse 31, if anyone asks you, why are you untying it? You shall say this, the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent away went and found just as he had told them. And they were untying the colt. And the owner said to him, why are you untying it? And they said, the Lord has need of it. Now, let me just pause here for a minute. This really, don't try this to get things from your neighbor. Or like you can't go to the car lot and say, I need the keys of that car. Why? Well, the Lord has need of it. Like you... There's more going on here than just a strange conversation with people who own this donkey. Like, just surface level, we're like, well, that's strange that that worked. Well, what's happening here is they're using this word for Lord, this very important word that the disciples would use for Jesus, and Jesus would use it for himself. But also, like, maybe these owners of this donkey, maybe they were expecting the Messiah. Maybe they heard, maybe they knew Zechariah 9.9. And maybe they're like, hey, it's Passover. Hey, we're in Jerusalem. These people are coming up to me and saying, the Lord needs your donkey. 
So I don't, we don't really know what's going on here, but we do see that they just give it over. Now also, this word Lord in common use was sometimes used for the Roman emperor. The owners didn't argue. They didn't really, maybe nearly know what the Lord meant. But they said, take my prize colt, take it. And they brought it to Jesus and throwing their cloaks. Now, the cloaks in that day and time, that was like their prized possession. A lot of people didn't have anything else than the clothes that they wore. A lot of people only had one cloak. And if they would go stay at somebody's house or if they were traveling, they would use their cloak as their blanket. They would use their cloak as their pillow. They just really liked their cloaks. And so, listen, this is really good. They, they brought their cloaks and they throw in their clo- cloaks on the colt and they set Jesus upon it. They're very generous with their prized possession. They're giving their prized possession to the Messiah and they're exalting Him up on this colt. We're like, this is great. And these people are excited about going to Jerusalem. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. Not only did they make a little saddle for Jesus, but they started putting their cloaks on the road. And this spreading their cloaks was like a continual spreading. It's not like there's a handful of people that just like laid it down and then they, they went a little ways. There's some good ways that they're traveling here. So when the colt and Jesus went by and, and your, your cloak was done being trampled upon by the, by the colt, you'd pick it up and you'd run over to the front of the line and you'd lay it down. And there's all these people ready to just lay their prized possession down at the feet of Jesus. And they exalted Him. And I'm, I'm digging what these people are doing here. This is really good. As He rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. As He, as he was drawing near, all, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of His disciples began rejoicing and praising God with a loud voice. Now, we believe that this is the point to where they first, they're, they're kind of like turning the corner and they see Jerusalem. They see their king mounted on this colt. They're throwing their prized possessions down. And they see Jerusalem. They see their king and they, they have nothing left to do but just rejoice. They start getting excited. They start clapping and getting excited and singing. And they start rejoicing and praise God with loud voices for the mighty works that, he had, that they had seen, saying, verse 38, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Now they're excited. Because Jesus, before we find in the Gospels, they were trying to force Him to be King, and He wouldn't have it. He completely frustrated and foiled their plans for them to make Him King earlier. But now they're seeing Jerusalem during the Passover. And they're seeing their King. And He's on the colt. And they're excited and they're saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. They're quoting what the angels said when Luke, in Luke 2 when Jesus first appeared. And some of the Pharisees, now these are some of the bolder Pharisees because there were other Pharisees. So some of the more bolder ones, more angrier ones, said in the crowd, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. And he answered, I tell you, if these people were silent, the very stones would cry out. Jesus at last had made his public declaration that he is the Messiah King riding into his city to reclaim it. Jesus here is accepting worship. He will be praised today, tomorrow, into eternity. And folks, when we come to church, can we just give the rocks a break? Can we just say, hey, look, you're not going to sing out today. I'm going to sing out today. You haven't tasted grace. I have, and therefore I will praise my King. 
the angels, when Peter is writing his, his, his encouragement to the churches, he talks about the, the prophecy of the one that's to come, the one that is to bring us peace and hope and salvation. He says the angels long to look into that. That the creation is going to sing and declare the praises of the king. And even the angels long to taste grace. And they never will. It's for us. It's for the people of God, the saints of God, who've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. And we should give these rocks a day off for praising. Now, this is, this is great. But we've got to be honest. It doesn't end here. A lot of times it does in Sunday school classes and little devotions. We just stop here with the triumphal entry, but it doesn't end here. Verse 41. And when he drew near and saw the city. All right, now here's what's going on. First of all, the multitude sees the city and they see Jesus and they start exclaiming in loud voices, praising God that, and man, this is going to be great. Now Jesus is turning his attention to Jerusalem. That great city. He's turning his attention to Jerusalem. He sees the city. Now what does he do? What he ought to do is call down these reinforcements to topple Rome. What he ought to do is just raise up this big army that's going to take over. What he ought to do is, hey, you know, it's Passover. Why don't, we, why don't we remind these people about all these plagues? Let's bring some frogs and some gnats and some bugs and some blood. And let's do this. Let's redeem the people of God again. Let's bring freedom. Let's make it happen right now. Because these people are like, okay, he sees Jerusalem. We're here, the king. What's fixing to happen? He wept. Now this, he wept over it, is an audible, literal weeping. A burst into tears. What's that all about? So people are looking at him like, well, that, that's different. And he says, as he's weeping. You ever had that moment in your life where something has just stirred you beyond anything that you can describe and you're sobbing and then you say something in the middle of what you're sobbing through and the people that are around you are like leaning in trying to understand what you're saying because you're crying and you're, you're blubbering a little bit and there's tears and other things coming out of your face. That's what's happening here. So they're like, What's going on here? And then Jesus says, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace. And he's sobbing. But now they are hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade. Now this set up a barricade, this word, this, this set up a barricade, this is the only time this is used in the New Testament. He's using some strong words here. And they will surround you. This surround you only time it's used in the New Testament. These people are thinking, what's he saying? That's not what we want to hear. The enemy is going to come and surround us. And then he's going to say he's going to tear you down, beat you down to ground level pulp. Jesus is in, coming to the city, sees it from a distance and starts weeping. And says, would that you, even you would know this day the things that make for peace, but now they're hidden from your eyes. The days will come when your enemies will set up a barricade. They'll surround you. They'll destroy you. They'll beat you to a pulp. They'll take your stuff. They'll take your women and your children. And they'll hem you in on every side and they will tear you down, beat you to the ground and you and your children with you. And they'll not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. That's it. That's the triumphal entry. 
Where's the triumph in the entry there? Honestly, I think that at this point, there's some people that were laying their cloaks on the ground. They might have even been a little embarrassed. Hey, you, where did I see you the other day throwing your cloak down on the floor, when, on the ground when he was walking through? And, and then he said that we're going to just be utterly destroyed. Oh, no, I wasn't there. See, here's the thing. The multitude that's with him, we have no indication in Scripture that that multitude still was, was excited about him after this. Do you think they should have been? You think they were like, yeah, all right, Jesus, that's a great message. Everything's going to be destroyed, us and our women and our kids and everything. I'm excited about that. The, the very next thing that we see of Jesus is he's, you can read it. He, he makes his way to the temple. We don't find that there's a whole lot of people with him. Matter of fact, he goes into the temple and he sees a bunch of people doing some things they shouldn't be doing in the temple and he gets upset. There's no mention when you read through the Gospels, when you get to the trial of Jesus, there's no mention of this triumphal entry at his trial. They didn't say, Pilate, Herod didn't say, hey, by the way, you know, when you came in, you were exalting yourself as king. You were putting yourself up there. People were worshiping you. Why did you do that? They didn't even bring it up. There's no indication that anyone perceived Jesus at this point as a threat who could topple Rome. Now, now maybe before, right? And then, and then when he drew near and saw the city, maybe at that point they thought that Jesus could topple Rome, but not after he said that. All the religious leaders, they didn't think Jesus was the one. For one, is that he did everything different than they did. The stuff that he did on the Sabbath, how he was with children. See, that's part of these shoeboxes up here. There's gospel opportunities for every one of you to experience in sharing the gospel with a child all over the world. This is an incredible opportunity for you to take advantage of, to bless children. When Jesus brings the little children to him, here's your chance. To bring the children to Jesus. See, he did things different. The way he was with foreigners, the way he was with prostitutes, the way he was with foul-mouthed fishermen, the way he was with the outcast, with the tax collector, with people of the likes of you and me. Jesus was different. He did things different than the religious leaders. They didn't think he was the one. Now, you've got to understand something. I'm by no means saying that this is not a triumphal passage because believe me, it's more triumphal than we can really understand. And I think we've got to bring that in at this point. We can't le- I can't let's leave at this point because there is great victory here. There is great triumph here for all of us. Now, when Jesus said, that you would be torn down and beat to the ground, your children with you, they'll surround you, hem you in. About 30 years after this, Jerusalem, the city was viciously destroyed. AD 70. I mean, it was just like Jesus said, turned upside down. But I think we can find the hope and the joy and the peace and the victory in this. In verses 42 through 44, we see a term that's used that I think is very important. It's a verb. Would that you, even you, and he says, had known. On this day the things that make for peace, but they're now hidden from your eyes. 
for the days will come. Then he talks about all the ba- terrible things that, are ha- that will happen. Then at the end of verse 44, they will not leave one stone up upon another in you because what you did not know the time of your visitation. That word did not know and had known is two variations of the same word, which means to know. And it's good, okay? Basically, Jesus is saying this. You don't realize what really brings peace. And he's saying, secondly, you don't realize what really brings peace is here now. And so, you... Right now, where you are, you might feel like you've been beat down, level. But here's the thing. You've got to get this. What brings true peace is here. What brings real peace is here now. Jesus is weeping over Jerusalem because they didn't get Him. You don't get what brings peace. You don't get what brings peace. The time of your visitation, that the second person of the Trinity at that moment in time came and became man and visited. What brings real peace is what this passage deals with three things dealing with who Jesus is. First, first part in this passage, we see that Jesus is the Lord. I mean, they go to, he, they say, he says, go get this colt. The Lord has need of it. The Lord They go to the owners and say, hey, we're taking your cult because the Lord has need of it. I think that you can have peace, real peace, and you can have it now if you believe three things about Jesus. And Jesus says three things in your life now. First of all, that Jesus is Lord. Now, when you think someone as being Lord, a Lord must be obeyed. The Lord must be obeyed. If someone is Lord, it means kind of like master. If they're master, they must be obeyed. If you are here today and you want more peace in your life, ask yourself how you're obeying the master, how you're obeying the Lord. And Jesus says a lot of things that we must listen to. All throughout Scripture, He says a lot of things that we need to obey. He says, you must be born again. You must repent. You must come to me. You must believe in me. You must love me. You must listen to me. You must abide in me. You must take up your cross and follow me. You must love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. You must rejoice and leap for joy. You must fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. This is the Lord throughout Scripture telling us things that we must do to obey him. He says, do not be anxious. Don't be anxious about the necessities of daily life. He says, don't be anxious about the threats of man. He says, humble yourself. Humble yourself in childlikeness. Be a servant. Be brokenhearted and bold. Do not be angry about your situation that you're in. Trust God. Do not be angry about the people who are enemies in your life. Embrace mercy. Pray for them. Forgive them. This is the Lord talking throughout Scripture, throughout the Gospels. You want more peace in your life today? Listen to the commands of Jesus and obey the Lord, the Master. He says, be transformed. Strive to enter through the narrow door. He says, your righteousness must exceed that of the Pharisees. For they're hypocritical and they're ugly in the things that they do. Clean the inside of the cup. 
For every healthy tree bears fruit. It says, love your enemies. Lead them to truth. Love your enemies. Pray for those who abuse you. We must obey the Lord. Do good to those who hate you. Give to the one who asks. Love your enemies. Show them that you are a child of God. Love your neighbor. Love your neighbor as yourself. For this is the law and the prophets. Love your neighbor with the same commitment that you have to your own well-being. This is the Lord. This is the Master. Obey Him. See peace in your life increase. Now, today, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Give sacrificially. Give generously. Lay up for yourselves treasures. Increase your joy in Jesus. Do not take an oath. Cherish the truth and speak it simply. Let simply your words be yes or no. What God has joined together, let no man separate. For marriage mirrors God's covenant with us. One man, one woman, by grace until death. Jesus says, the Lord says, render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's. And to God the things that are God's. Just go and baptize. I'm going to build my church. I'm the Lord. Obey. Do this in remembrance of me. Be a part of the Lord's Supper if you're a believer. It says, let your light shine before others. The joyful sacrifice of love and suffering. That they may glorify your Father who is in heaven. Jesus said, all authority belongs to me. Make disciples of all nations. See, the mission of God cannot fail. God uses his people to do that. Jesus says, you missed it. You missed what really brings peace. And you missed the fact that what really brings peace can bring it today. First thing, Jesus is Lord. Obey Him. Obey the Lord and watch a wellspring of peace overflow in your heart. The next thing that we see through this is that Jesus is King. They exalted Him as King. They laid their prized possessions down. They they laid them down. They set Jesus up on that colt. I don't really know what that looked like. If they were like scooped him up and, or if they said, okay, Jesus, now get up there. But it says they set him up there. They exalted their king. You want peace to increase in your life? Obey the Lord and exalt the king. The Old Testament, the king had the authority over the nation of Israel. Jesus has the authority today over everything. He should be exalted. In the New Testament, Jesus was born the king of the Jews. Yet, as we saw, he refused any attempt to be forced to be an earthly king. In John six fifteen, perceiving that they were about to come and take him by force and make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. Jesus answered in John eighteen thirty six, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would be fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not of this world. The king is to be exalted. Jesus did not have a kingdom whose arrival he announced. Fact is true. He's the King of the people of God. Matthew 4. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Jesus is saying the kingdom is here. Well, what's the kingdom? Look at me. Jesus is saying, look at me. You see the kingdom? It's before you. Exalt the king. In John chapter 1, verse 49, Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. And after Jesus was crucified, after his resurrection, 
Jesus was given by God, the Father, far greater authority over the church and over the universe. In Ephesians chapter 1, we read this. It's a beautiful passage talking about Jesus' authority. What is the immeasurable greatness of His power toward us who believe? According to the working of His great might that He worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at the right hand of the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion. See, God is exalting Jesus. God is putting Him up on that proverbial colt and saying, He's the King. And above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him head over all things to the church, which is the body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Jesus is to be highly exalted. When he rose from the grave, not only did others exalt Jesus, not only should we exalt Jesus, but God exalted Jesus. This is my son. He has all power, all authority, all dominion. 1 Corinthians fifteen twenty five. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God, the Father, and destroying every rule and every authority and every power. Okay, that's Jesus destroying everything else that's of rule, that's of authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. That's King Jesus high and exalted and lifted up. We should come before the king and lay down our lives, lay down our possessions, lay down everything that we cherish and exalt the king and lift him up. And I promise you something. If you do that, you're not going to pout out of this room and say, I can't believe I exalted Jesus today. No, because there's something heavenly in that. There's something spiritual about that. There's something that people can't understand and we can't explain, and it's good. Jesus is saying, you don't know what bring, brings real peace. You don't know what brings real peace. peace and it, it's now, it's here today. So obey Jesus as Lord and exalt Him as King. Every authority, give it to Him. Every rule, give it to Him. O- obey your Lord. Exalt your king, Jesus will return one day to the earth. And this planet ain't never seen nothing like that. You want to talk about king? You want to talk about king Jesus? In Philippians chapter 2, we see 9 through 10. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Now, under the earth, I don't know who's digging holes and living under the earth at this point. This is covering everybody. That one day, at the name of King Jesus, everybody would bow. Everybody will exalt one way or another. Revelation chapter 19 You have verse 16 up there, 19, uh, verse 11 through 16 says, John the Revelator says, Then I saw heaven open. And behold, a white horse, the one sitting on it, is called faithful and true. And in righteousness, he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire. And on his head are many diadems or crowns. And he has the name that is written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood. And and the name by which he is called is the word of God. And the armies of heaven, 
arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on a white horse on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword, which we, with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the wine presses of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty on his robe and on his thigh. He has a name that is written, King of kings and Lord of lords. Jesus is King. You want peace? You want peace today? Get off the throne of your life. Take whatever else is on the throne. If it's not you, take it off. Put Jesus exalted and high and lifted up over your life. Jesus is the king and peace is found when we exalt him as king over our lives. The next thing that we see, not only is Jesus Lord, not only is he the master that should be obeyed, not only is he the king that should be exalted, but Jesus is the savior and he should be trusted. We come to the point where we reflect back on his words when he And he looked at Jerusalem and he just started sobbing. Started weeping. You know, some people say, real men don't cry. Some some people say, you know, tears are reserved for the weak. But Jesus is absolutely sobbing as he looks at Jerusalem And says, what? You don't even know. You think you want peace, but you don't even know what brings peace. He's pouring his tears out. And people are looking at him like, what's all this about? See, Jesus wept because he had great, great, great love for Jerusalem. God's heart is grieved today when the Savior is before you now with arms open wide saying, I'm here. What what you need for peace, real peace, which is me, what you need for peace. I'm here now, today. And God's heart is grieved when Jesus is rejected. That's why Jesus was weeping here. He knew what they needed and they rejected him. There's going to be people in this room. You know what you need. You know what you need for peace. You know what you need? You need a Savior. You can spend all your time, effort, and energy trying to figure it out yourself. From experience, let me tell you, you will fail. You can't do it in your own strength. You can't make peace for your life. Men, you can't restore your marriage in your own strength. Moms, single moms, you can't raise those kids in your own strength. 
teenager. You can't face the, the world around you in your own strength. Everybody that came into this room today needs peace. Everybody that came into this room today is trying to find peace somewhere. Now, maybe you've exalted something else in your life as king, thinking that'll bring you peace. But what you need to do is you need to come to the Savior as He has arms stretched open wide for you. And here's the great thing. Everything, everything that was required to bring peace has already been accomplished. Everything has been done. God already did everything. He already made the way. He already took the steps necessary. All you have to do to have peace, all you have to do to embrace the Savior is just come in faith. You don't have to pay for it. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to be good enough for it. You don't have to Clean your act up a little bit before you come to the Savior. I've heard all of those. Well, I got this and this going on. I'm trying to fix this. I'm trying to stop this. And once I get, once I get to the point that maybe I can get that behind me, then you know what? I might, I might just really, I might come to church. I might, I might come to Jesus. The Savior is to be trusted today. Now, what if... What if Jesus is looking at some of you today as He looked at Jerusalem, that great city, who, who thought that they had it together. And He looks at some of you and He weeps over you. He says, would that you, even you, had known what really makes for peace, but they're hidden from your eyes. For the days will come an absolute ruin, perdition, destruction. My prayer coming to this, when I was thinking through this, when I was coming to this point, I just was praying that God would open up eyes because that's what's happening here. Jesus is saying, you're blind to the truth. You're blind to the truth of me. The one that's to be obeyed, the one that's to be exalted, the one that's to be trusted. So maybe today you need peace. You need to have faith in the Lord. You need to obey the Lord. You need to exalt the King. You need to trust the Savior. Because it's not too late. It's not too late. That's the beauty of this triumphal entry. That's the victory that you can have today. Is it the worst destruction that you could experience? It hasn't happened yet. It's not too late. So we're going to pray. I'm going to ask you to come. The Savior's arms are open. Examine your heart. Ask it if Jesus is your Lord, if He's your King, if He's your Savior. And as I was thinking through this, I was praying through this, I was actually praying. Those three things. Lord, you're my Lord. Jesus, you're my Lord. Jesus, you're my King. Jesus, you're my Savior. If you're a believer today, I want to encourage you just to, 
pray through that. Jesus, be my Lord today. Jesus, be my King today. Be exalted in my life. Jesus, be my Savior today. Just pray through those things. Let's pray. Lord, we know that historically we have called this passage the triumphal entry. We've also called it today maybe not so triumphal, but Lord, the simple fact that today the Savior has arms open wide is for us a cause to celebrate, to rejoice, to say, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King. Lord, I pray that there, that you would examine our hearts I just know, God, that in a crowd like this, Lord, there are people that maybe their eyes are, are blind to the truth of you. Would you open eyes, Lord? Would you let people see who you are today? Lord, I pray for the one that is walking in disobedience to you. They say they're a believer. They've confessed you as their Savior. They've followed you in believer's baptism but there's sin in their life. God, I pray that you would press upon their need to obey the Lord. Lord, we, we have sins that we commit. We do things that we shouldn't do. And it's sin. We want to obey the Lord and not do those things. But God, we also don't do things that you've called us to do, which also is sin. God, would you give us boldness and courage to do the things that you've called us to do. Lord, we know that in a crowd like this, that there are people that have not exalted you as king. There is something else in their life that is king. A relationship, their children, their job, their hobby, their selves, their money. Lord, I pray that you would Examine the throne of our heart right now, God, as we are open and honest before you. Search our hearts. Lord, if you're not king over our lives daily, Lord, I pray that whatever dominion and rule and authority that we have placed as king in our life, Lord, that you would indeed topple that now. You would take your rightful place, high and exalted, and lift it up as king over our lives. And Lord, as you are here today, now, the Prince of Peace, what brings true peace, being here now today. We've gathered in your name. We believe that you are here. Lord, we believe that the Savior is here today. Lord, I know in my heart that there's somebody here that doesn't know you as their Savior. We thank you, God, that you did everything necessary to redeem us, to save us, to bring us to yourself. Lord, we pray that you would open the door of faith in someone's heart today. That they would see their great need for a Savior. A Savior that has a love for them, a heart for them. That he would stretch out his hands and die for them. That he would look and weep and grieve. But they don't know. So would you open eyes, God? Would you open hearts? Or would you make us victorious, triumphal? today because we 
know you. Lord, we turn this time to you, God. I pray that you would have your way. We pray this in Jesus' good name. Amen.